You're listening to Two Beers Until Phrenesis, a podcast where we discuss the ideas of philosophy, ethics, religion, history, and culture. Alongside regular guests and friends, we discuss some of life's big questions over a few beers. Enjoy. Well, the click track started as well. That's pretty nice. So, oh, I got that nice little metronome. Yeah. Okay. Levels look good. Yeah, why don't you start with a question? Oh, my God. <laughs> Are you quite tired? Uh, yeah, I don't know why. I honestly don't know why. It's probably just, my voice, because I'm speaking very relaxed, putting you to sleep. Yeah, why don't you, why don't you start with one of your cool questions, and then we can right. t- talk about the meaning of life. So I suppose if we're broadly going to be speaking about meaning, it makes sense to start off with just asking you, I guess, what is your relationship with meaning, or... More specifically, do you find life to be meaningful? Uh, well, yeah, I think there are some things that are obviously that seem more meaningful than others, but uh, pinning down exactly the essence of what is meaningful is something I find increasingly difficult, actually. I think you'd have, if you'd have asked me a few years ago, I probably would have been able to tell you. You think you would have been more confident in your answer? Yeah, I think so. Um, but I think that would have been naivety speaking right does this come from a sort of almost definitional standpoint where it's more the the metaphysical idea of meaning becomes somewhat confusing when you start thinking about it or is it more that in the context of say existentialism or something like that um you don't necessarily find yourself comfortable with any of the particular viewpoints yeah well i well i think that meaning in a sort of traditional sense is a nonsensical kind of thing uh, in the modern world and increasingly so in like a an age of anxiety so i think that the ways in which we would have found meaning in the past they certainly don't speak to me they're like religion and big grand narratives and things um and as it becomes more personal i think it's it's a harder thing to pin down and define right so you would say as meaning becomes sort of less universalized let's say uh, or grand narrative as you put it um do you think that it kind of as as it becomes more existential and more about um finding one's own meaning in life you think that sort of subjectivity in there kind of erodes away at this the tangibility of the word itself or yeah well i, th- I think definitionally in the past it relied on some kind of well a, a fiction metaphysically but I also think conceptually it, it was just, uh, I think we, we might have talked before about this this whole idea of even if the is of religion is true, even if the facts are right about uh, gods and whatever, just because there is an apparent design or intent. A teleology. Yeah, of, of some, or there's, yeah, there's like a, an intent of some figure. It doesn't imbue meaning or worth by definition. You know, you hear it quite a lot when people try and proselytize and talk about religion. You hear the is all the time, but you never really hear a clear ought. And you know the is is flawed, but you never even really hear the ought. You never hear, the, like, why should you do anything? Right. I mean, I would, I would say that perhaps in the context of religion, what they mean is that the ought is kind of one of the universals in the sense that it's any sort of, and, and often it'll be in the form of, say, like a commandment from God in a religious text or something. It would normally be um, some kind of direct universal that would be translated from something to an ought. Yeah. And that's kind of like an easy step rather than saying like, 
um, you know, necessarily having some ontological is, often religion will just skip that and just go to, you know, you ought to in a certain sense. And then um, instead of sort of consulting whether or criticizing whether that necessarily has some kind of um, attached ontology or reasoning for it, it's, it's more just like the ought is, is of itself. It's, it's a universal um, in the grand narrative sense, and, and the grand narratives are based around these orts, as opposed to them sort of being these, you know, separate things that need justifications. I don't know. It's, I guess the way I kind of think about it is like, okay, so there there is a commandment, but just because God's saying it doesn't necessarily mean that I then ought to do it. Because often the example I uh, kind of like to bring up is the whole uh well okay so he's the designer and it's it's the plan which is cosmic it's written into the universe it's like in some sense immutable or in, innate yeah um but i mean you could make the argument with ai or cloning a human that humans could create life and, and even design that life but even then that life is not bound to then do it can certainly choose it and feel indebted um so i guess i guess that that's an ought but it's not the truth right it's simply it's simply a it's it's a choice um and it's not often presented as a choice in the religious Mm. context yeah and i think here you're thinking like a you know you're thinking like a realist like well like a materialist and i I think that's the same sort of way i think most people would probably think about it from the outside and but i i think what's actually happening um why it is a bit different is and why obviously that form of analysis i think works and i think that's how i think we would approach the same thing but um i think to the person who is imbued in faith and finds meaning from faith they would argue that the you know the reason or rationale is is of the fact that um, is, is of one of these universals so it's like they're they're one and the same right it's like the ought need not have a why behind it it's like it it just is a universal in and of itself it's like it is part of the you know the ontology of 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 their god or whatever else yes yeah yeah, so it's like it's like these the concept of having a a reason why is kind of you know it, it that's almost like a different kind of reasoning. Yeah, faith doesn't really need a reason. I I, I guess yeah. I guess I yeah I, I totally understand that. So yeah, I, I guess that's just my personal perspective. If I was speaking to someone who was trying to proselytize, that would be my sort of like. Can you not understand where I'm coming from in this? It's like because uh, because I have had that a few times before where people have been like, well you know thou shalt god and you're just like well <laughs> that's not really yeah can you like as an atheist can you kind of not respect that there's i'm not hearing an ought yeah well you approach it from that almost socratic perspective right you you want to question why you want to find out the reasons um the genesis of why these things are and i, and I think largely a lot of the reasoning is, is sort of of itself and this is part of the issue and why there's there can be just this massive um epistemic gap between how someone who seeks meaning from religion uh, maybe thinking about how they justify their oughts and why they find meaning in something compared to someone who has to you know reason in a reductionistic sense down to the reasons for why this ought may be if that's you know again uh even possible to sort of you know touch on the you know Hume's fallacy, the gap between is and ought in the first place, which is probably the the ultimate bane of any uh, reductionist um, trying to um, get to the bottom of ethics, right? Yeah, yeah. And finding just a sort of never ending hole. So, yeah, I mean, so, so you would say that um, for you, it's kind of a complicated 
situation I would, still. I would say that's, um, I, and I don't like defining myself in terms of what, I, what I'm not, and especially when it comes to religion and atheism, but um, I do think it's important to recognize the historical context for modern atheism. And, and I, I guess that's what existentialism is in a nutshell, really, is kind of recognizing a new context, specifically kind of the decline of religion the rise of science and um, I guess for the existentialists that were writing, it was things like World War II and it was, it was big breakdowns in systemic thinking and the universal thinking and yeah. turning to a more, uh, well, it really just accepting that life is inherently meaningless in that, you know, rejecting the old kind of ways of thinking that, that really make no sense to people like you and me now about you know universal truths or whatever and and just kind of trying to carve right, yeah just rejecting these rejecting universals right i, I would say yeah specifically then you know because obviously the meaningless aspect of it would be the sort of nihilistic end of the existentialist tradition but it's yeah like you said i think it is sort of stemming out of this um skepticism for universals and this post-enlightenment way of thinking about um one's place in the universe and and also taking like the state of you know suffering and things like that, and trying to make sense of it, and trying to make sense of the chaos that is uh, that is life. And I mean, I was always very confused by existentialism because, until I sort of realised it's it's a very loosely based historical thing more than necessarily like uh, you know a gun and a, a proper like locked down definition for how someone should talk about meaning. Like within existentialism, you have a huge range of different thinkers who, you know, from all sorts of uh, uh, beliefs, you know. Yeah, it's a context and an attitude as opposed to any sort of real, you know, set thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, so you would, um, you'd say you, you, I mean, if I was to just say, like, you wouldn't self-describe as a nihilist or... No, um, I, I realised, uh, obviously, when I just mentioned the meaninglessness of the universe, like, so perhaps not accepting that as a given, but at least recognising the challenge of nihilism to, to recognize that it is a sort of um a real thing i've actually got like a little question um what do you think of sorry you cut off there sorry it's very windy here so the phone lines are knocking out for me i oh, know uh, it's on still phone line um sorry you it, you cut off right before you asked that you had a question i do have a question right um mm. self-described nihilists where uh, people on the internet and whatever who uh profess to be nihilists and and seem willing to accept that like well what's your what's your thoughts on those people and is that a sensible position to have i think it's one of those things where it, it comes largely out of a not only a confusion over what we mean when we say meaning uh, which is kind of you know there's the linguistic side of it there's the um and there's the there's the sort of uh, metaphysical side of things where it's like you know our place in the universe and how does it come about that if you could read you know for, for all our empirical sciences and reasoning and whatever that uh where do you get meaning you know if, if you again like we're talking about um being that sort of hard reductionist kind of attitude you dig down and you don't find anything and i think that's largely what a lot of these people are doing but there's there's to me there's steps missing that um and i think I was probably, um, you know, when I was a teenager, I was, probably, I was likely a nihilist. I used to probably be in the same camp of like, oh, if I was to reason down or rationalize um, uh, about my place in the universe, ultimately it's, 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 you know, some mechanistic thing going on that's governed by rules and 
all that sort of thing. And where's, you know, where's the meaning in that? But um, I think as I've thought more about these things, to me, there's not only a contextual relationship with meaning, but there's, there's a lot more properties to the way in which I, I think agents are in the world that emerge as a consequence of being being a, a, a system apart from itself or like being a, a subset of a system in which um, you have some knowledge about the world, but that knowledge is inherently limited uh, due to, you know, a number of reasons, uh, not least because, you know, the Laplace's demon essentially would be nigh impossible in the, for reasons of what we now understand about the fundamental probabilistic nature of our universe, as well as chaos and all sorts of other things that inherently impose a what I like to refer to as an information horizon, which is actually a, a term borrowed from game design, which is to do with how many moves ahead a player can realistically, you know, see how far into the future can one predict uh, behavior or the world around them. Um, and that sort of inbuilt barrier is is kind of the landscape in which meaning kind of emerges since it doesn't necessarily matter how much of a you know a clockwork device or a, a probabilistic machine you are ultimately there is no choice you can make that will be aware enough of both your own internal state and the state of the world that you could ever cheat this system and essentially you can be, become reductionist but on on the level of of the emergent world in which we actually live um, the difference is that you get all these emergent properties as a consequence of this complexity, as a consequence of the imbalance in information, whereby, you know, you can, you could go look at a wave function and go, well, hey, I don't, you know, that's, where does meaning in, the, where's meaning in that? But, you know, that's obviously not where, not where things lie. It, it lies in the fact that in the ultimate analysis of things, maybe it's, it would be wrong or you require a certain context in which to talk about the universe being uh, this you know this mechanistic process but as far as our perspective is concerned there's there's no way to like i said sort of hack that system and and thus um you know be able to perfectly cast um an understanding of the future in such a way that you could see your own free will before you i would say that as i've got older as well I, it's i think i've become more aware of of the limits of the, the, you know the the useful illusion of free will in the sense that it's to, you know to take to take up a sort of semi-compatibilist um sort of slant on this it, it's sort of like it's useful at least linguistically and and as far as you know behaviorally and practically it's 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 a useful way to think about the universe in terms of like me making a decision and, and that decision having some kind of meaning value to me in how i you know and how i am as a being and it doesn't necessarily matter if in the ultimate analysis that last decision was some consequence of genetics imposing certain uh, you know, neurological states and then you know and then like the hormones and the synapses and all the different things uh combining in this giant neuro neuroendocrinological system you know that um ends up in a certain behavior ultimately it's like from the perspective of of the you know phenomenological being it's it's very difficult to to ever kind of well to say well okay well that's there's no meaning then because in, a, in essence you're sort of denying this entire emergent framework of your of your own ignorance of of your ability to see every part of the process um and it's again like yes in the ultimate analysis of things we can stick brains into 
uh, you know, fMRI machines and then tell what people are going to think before they think it. But the point is that you're not always going to be in an fMRI machine and, and the world is too chaotic and strange in order to ever really find use in, uh, in, in the reductionist way of analyzing sort of daily life and the way you would source meaning. In, in that sort of way. I don't know if any of that makes any sense. but No, it, I, it did. Um, I think there were a couple of points where you were just trying to be, sound clever. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it's a hell of an answer. Um, it's interesting because I, I think a lot of people, when they talk about meaning, they actually bracket a lot of those things you talked about. They actually bracket the, um, the, the sort of hard question of, of determinism and free will. And I don't think you should because obviously we're talking about meaning we're we're talking about things like authenticity and autonomy control and that's the ultimate point of control are we free or not there there is definitely like this strong relationship between what we may call meaning aka like the relationship between two things and the interaction that they have if, if one thing is a sign the other is the thing that it is pointing to um in that sort of abstract sense of meaning um it is innately tied to the idea of us as independent acting agents and in that sense i think that's where you kind of recover some sense of meaning for me from a purely from an from an analytical point basic perspective basically it's, it's yeah. how um it's how i get back to it and i think that's how you can construct uh, to, to sort of reiterate but it's, it's you know it doesn't matter how much of a a system I am if that which I am is not aware of every aspect of the system and it's, it's some, somewhat complicated but I, I think this is kind of like the very complicated way of addressing a nihilist but I would have to sort of be more specific I think if I was to um, try to convince someone of of how all of these things sort of emerge but for, for me that's kind of how how things kind of work but it's um, and that's why I'm i no longer a self-described nihilist. One thing I have found interesting is, is that, and this is completely conjectural, but in my experience, like one's attitude towards uh, meaning in their place in the universe seems very much tied with their neuroticism, <laughs> which is perhaps uh, you know a lot of a lot of existentialists and a lot of nihilists are not necessarily uh, the happiest people and. I do wonder if there is some, to some degree, a feedback loop where you you reject meaning itself, and in doing so, your life becomes more difficult and less meaningful. And perhaps um, we've sort of somewhat talked about grand narratives before, but um, even outside of the context of religion, there's there's a weird feedback loop between belief and believing in um, in a grand narrative of some sort and also having a reflected change in your mental state that leads to a different outlook and and vice versa where you can say become uh, disenchanted with um, any kind of like narrative or structure or belief and 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 ultimately kind of fall apart and then say well there was never anything to begin with um, and I, I understand that this is slightly different to saying, you know, ontological argument for um, the lack of meaning in the world. But from from the perspective of of that sort of, you know, um, narratives and belief, that interesting relationship or feedback loop, I think, is something that is is somewhat overlooked. And it, and it, it is interesting. I think there is some kind of correlation there. But I, I don't know. What do you think? Um, well, I think the 
there's a stark difference between we must have talked about this in the past as well uh happiness and meaning and i think a lot of the time people confuse the two so i think you're absolutely right to say that often some of the existentialists who are most focused upon ideas of meaning are actually uh sometimes even deeply unhappy uh but i do think there is a nice sort of crossover point where meaning and happiness uh kind of meet and i i I would say that's that's kind of something close to uh, what we talked about before, but eudaimonia flourishing. No, oh, is, is that how you pronounce? I've always said eudaimonia. Is it eudaimonia? Is it? I, I, do you know, what? I've heard both. Oh, yeah, okay. I have no idea. Um, so yeah, on off the back of that, um, kind of you know, meaning being related to truth and the idea that there's kind of more to existence than pure bliss because we use i think you mentioned before about the cocaine addict who just shoots up every time that's that's an idea um very clearly of happiness without meaning but i think you can also have meaning without happiness um thinking about uh like victor frankl or, or um anyone who's experienced like massive uh tragedy or podcast i was listening to earlier uses the example of like a concentration camp it's like there's a a very clear idea of of, of meaning in some cases with that but to say it's happy is is absolutely incorrect obviously there's, there's nothing further from happiness that i can imagine so i think there's there's something in the idea of meaning being related to strife or struggle or or at the very least and this is where i think they they cross over happiness and meaning is is the idea of pursuit like, i guess i i'm talking about it in more of a um a day-to-day idea of meaning so, so yeah off the back of of that tangent you've obviously heard of the experience machine uh thought experiment this is the hedonism sort of argument yes so yeah the pleasure machine is normally what i've heard it yeah yeah so very very briefly there's a you can get into a, a big juicy vat and there's loads of um dials and knobs and, and wires going into your brain and they can stimulate any impulse and give you the illusion that you're living a happy life you're your, um, I don't know, what was what your idea of a, of a hedonistic, happy life? Have you, have you got a dog or? Just pure dopamine, pure, <laughs> just constant dopamine flooding my brain. Yeah, is there, is there, you know. what's the, what's the details though? Do you, can you fly or? Well, I'm, I'm not sure if you necessarily need any kind of tangible relationship with reality to feel bliss. No, I, I guess um, you don't. So I, I don't know. I, I mean, of course, I would also say that perhaps in those kinds of examples, we're maybe tethering it, especially because they're hypothetical. I think we're maybe we're trying to tether it too much to our own experience of meaning and happiness as it relates to our reality, rather than the perhaps more pure sensation itself. The you know the phenomenological state of actual bliss, which you know can be something entirely separate of you know necessarily our uh, our everyday lives or something that we like to do. It's like the the bliss is the effect of the thing happening not the thing happening in and of itself you know if you like to walk the dog it's like you know that's that you can you can have a similar feeling from doing a separate activity right and it's it's the um that the feeling of happiness that is like the separate thing abstract that, yeah um ca- yeah it carries through between different threads um yeah i guess that the, the point in the machine as well is that you don't actually have to have any examples you're right because it, it's an experience mm-hmm. machine you don't or, or a pleasure machine or whatever it, it's just it could just be anything you don't have to have the lie or the illusion 
yeah, it's it's like an it's a useful abstraction to sort of just go. Well, it's it's just the pure sensation, I guess. And at least you know, I think it's probably easier not to explain it that way to people. But I think that's the better way to think about the the argument because it helps you to sort of get to a place where you have to, you know, reason out of that um, that sort of hedonism. Yeah, because because the real question it, the real question is, would you would you get into the machine? But so would you? Yeah. Um. It's. I mean, to be honest, yes, but. It's uh, <laughs> that's not the um, right answer, is it? <laughs> but yeah, yeah, and, and it's one of these things where I'm, I'm working on trying to figure out why I I shouldn't. And it's mm -hmm. it's one of those things where I'm perfectly aware of that um, contextual difference. You know, that as the, as the Greeks put it, you know, we said eudaimonia or, or eudaimonia, as you said. Um, the, the idea that there's it's it's something more pure than necessarily one particular sensation, and I, I think perhaps we have a limit in our linguistic way that we speak about emotion in the sense that we require some some end of the spectrum or graph in which there is some emotional state that is achieved whereas in reality perhaps our our phenomenological existence kind of exists in this in this flux of a lot of different states in which we kind of interpret let's say the the asymmetry between different states as part of the experience of being uh, blissful and happy. And what I mean by that, to try and ground that a little bit easier, is so if you were to be purely blissful, uh, without the context of what it means to not be in, in pure bliss, it almost kind of, the idea of bliss itself may no longer make any sense. There has to be a, a kind of dialectic to inform the, the middle ground kind of thing. It, like you can't experience, yeah, you need, you need a, a reference point. Right, yeah, and I mean, obviously, that may not be the case, and it may be perfectly, you know, um, neurologically or whatever else, physically possible to induce that kind of state, and um, there would be no limitation on it. But we, it's 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 hard to say. Like, would would someone who has had no difference in experience, uh, you know, maybe it, maybe it does have to be a landscape, or maybe that's completely completely false. And I, I think perhaps, if nothing else, that doubt might stop me from entering the machine but of, of course i mean it's it's a hypothetical machine and it's always difficult with hypotheticals because my first questions would always be of the physical nature of the ontological nature of the how does the machine work what is it doing to my brain what is it doing you know and and in therein you would you would try to yeah. seek the answer for what what you know what you might expect but if of course at, at the hypothetical extreme it, you almost have to question if it's even you know, if it's even a sensible uh, hypothetical to to make, or whether, like I said, you may it may just simply be the case that in reality, uh, th this flux of experiences that we go through is is what gives bliss its um, its its state. It's what gives bliss um, its um, its sensation. Is is the uh, the contrast is the word I'm looking for between between the different states, and and for me that's kind of where where it's very where I find it very difficult to answer that question. Um, and uh, having and having just gone through that, I now have successfully somewhat reasoned myself out of getting into the machine. So <laughs> I'm somewhat changing my mind live here. So I yeah. think your objection is premised upon the idea that to do with the nature of bliss itself, as opposed to the idea of, I guess, more grounded leaving leaving a life behind, or something about it being untrue or false or disingenuous. It's it's difficult because you would you would be offering some hypothetical in a situation where um, I don't know if that is even like 
it has any kind of reality to it whether that's um whether like you said and you mentioned leaving stuff behind like again in a hypothetical example like this you would have to assume that like you're not even going to care about uh, the fact that you've left anything behind that is not even part of the equation that you know perhaps you would be perhaps the extreme state of bliss is is a complete lack of memory perhaps you just exist entirely in a, in a in an instantaneous state of of you know the specious present you know yeah i i think that's i think that's the idea but um the idea is is knowing what you know now it, it, at the never mind what you would feel once you were in there let's just say yeah, I, I guess it is just not a, a real concept, right. is it? Once you get in, it's not that's, perfection. That's what I mean, yeah, yeah. It, what is that? Yeah. The more I dig into, like, yeah, and, and parameterize it, the more I feel like it's um, as a hypothetical. Yes, I would jump in, but I just, I just feel like again, because it's a hypothetical question, it's perhaps it's not a very useful answer because if you were to wheel out a machine tomorrow and say, do you want to get in? It makes bliss. Then that would be very different because that would be a, a physical, real thing that may have. Um, a whole load of complications uh, to it that that we may not, you know, we may, may not know about beyond just the the pure release of chemical bliss that goes on in the brain. There's there's a physical process there that leads to things, and of of course, you know, this is taking the, um, you know, a, a sort of physicalist perspective on things and the relationship between um, the brain and the mind, I guess. Um, but that's you know that that kind of is 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 my assumption that I would make. I, I wouldn't want to make any other kind of assumption. Um, so. It's it's yeah it's it's yes I would in the hypothetical but no I wouldn't if there was any kind of reality to the question um, so yeah I suppose that's probably my answer mm, it's interesting I've never heard anyone actually say they would uh, most people would 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 say absolutely not because be right but I would say because they're answering from from the perspective of of reality right <laughs> as a, as opposed to the perspective of a hypothetical which is perhaps indescribable and and of course if um, if there was a physical reality in which the exact thing that you were hypothetically describing was possible, then sure, okay, I would jump in. But my doubt as to that being any kind of realistic, you know, um, object is um, is too high. Um, so I, I used to describe myself as a humanist, and, and it, a lot of the time I, I still do. Part of the reason why I don't sometimes is because i don't think humanism has an adequate answer for questions of this nature i still struggle to find any sort of ism really that would combat this dilemma that would actually kind of inform a decision and because because i i know i knowing what i know now and from from kind of a just a conversational perspective i know i would say oh, okay yeah, yeah i don't want to go in the experience machine the problem is kind of justifying why and everything starts to become a little bit more woolly at that point. And um, I, I certainly don't think it relies on any sort of ism uh, as to why I would say no. I would actually go to the extent to say that a hypothetical like that transcends reason um, because the mechanisms that we use to reason, I mean, our entire epistemic grounding for thinking about the world relies on doubt. It relies on... Um, trying to think about some um, way in which something comes about or works, or and, and I think when something transcends that so uh, so thoroughly that it it becomes apart from our own ability to reason about it, then I don't think there is necessarily a um, an answer one can reach, and that's probably why I would say there is it is a weird question and it's uncomfortable is is simply that in in that kind of reality 
in which something like that is possible, you know, but there was no doubt, there was no, um, there was no mechanistic explanation, there was no justification. And if, if there was, okay, fine, there would be no rational reason. But it's in the hypothetical, I don't think there, I don't think there is, you know. I mean, a, a less, a less hypothetical version of possibly what the thought experiment is trying to get at would perhaps be something like, let's say you were in a relationship, and it turned out that person was uh, seeing other people or wasn't faithful or, or didn't didn't just didn't like you the entire time and that it, it was in some sense a lie would you would you begrudge that or or more accurately actually if you died not knowing that, that was the case would it bother you i suppose that is also has the contains the same problem like Exactly. Yeah, it goes beyond our rational ability to reason because we've uh, you're dead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it's it's yeah. Again, we're we're escaping the container of of reason by extrapolating something into such a hypothetical domain that it. I mean, the real answer is of course no. But then of that of course you you know you only have to say no. But then if you tried to ground it in reality, there would be far more. You know, if you were if you were a ghost suddenly after you died, <laughs> well then it would be a yes. But it's like. Of course, our capacity to reason about it relies yeah. on the fact that it's a nonsensical question, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, yeah, I would say that's that's probably the issue. Then, I mean, you were you were mentioning like humanism, isms, grand narratives, this sort of thing, and um, constructing meaning from that. And and you mentioned that you haven't necessarily found you you've never you've always sort of fallen out of love with any sort of isms and um, any of these kinds of narratives or whatever that you can collectively kind of hold on to um do you feel like that's kind of leaving a hole in your life or do you feel like it's um sort of liberating or freeing in some sense well both simultaneously i think there's a slightly false dichotomy in the idea of there being a hole because like there was never really anything to plug that gap so i i think really as soon as i started to uh think about these kinds of questions i must have been in high school um that gap existed so there, there was never really anything plugging it other than not thinking about it and i don't for, for me at least like we said about um theism and uh, belief in uh the, the greatest grand narrative of all religion i i've never really viewed them as alternatives to anything or, or or valid options just simply because they didn't make any sense to me but i suppose i must have had some kind of passing belief in something but uh that yeah that was probably just um yeah kind of bracketing the question i guess um mm. so as soon as i as soon as i kind of could reason about these things uh, i just remember just going through school especially just a, a sense of angst when it came to these kinds of questions and i think as a result i latched onto a very shallow form of atheism in order to kind of come to terms with that so so at that time yes definitely um there was a gap and i was plugging it with something that yeah plugging it with a fucking sponge like it just absolutely it wasn't it wasn't really any i didn't realize uh, i guess conceptually the nature of the gap and and what questions needed to be asked and answered i was you know it's it's difficult to to get your you get your head around and right coming out of that into a more kind of considered approach to humanism and more embracing the the pursuit of, of conversation and trying to work out our place uh, collectively and and using things like 
I guess, uh, art and music and, and conversation and friendship to, to fill those kind of gaps on a, on a more individual level. Um, I think that helped more, but again, I think I underestimated just how wide that, that gap is. So I think it, it's helpful not to think of it necessarily in terms of a gap that may be the best, um, way kind of day to day to, to deal with it. Because like you said, it, it's in a lot of senses, it's freeing. Um, and the reason I don't describe myself as humanist is just because I, I don't think they're even recognizing a gap. I think that they think religious people are kind of stupid and, and what's the point? There's no, there's no need to be religious. There's no void. There's nothing, there's no problem in not believing in, in anything. And we don't need beliefs because uh, as you've experienced, they will often say things like we're hardwired to be good. And it, it's right. like, that, that's just probably not true. Um, I mean, there, there are, there is hard wiring. I don't really, I think that's a pretty stupid term anyway, but. Yeah, I, I think, you know, you could, you, you could make arguments for this. There's obviously behavioral there are reasons, yes. programming. Yeah. There are reasons why things happen, but to, to say that, you know, we are good because it, because of some innate capacity to be good would be to also define good mechanistically. And I would go about dis dismantling this by essentially you know, I mean, you go down the ethical rabbit hole in, in going, well, is is good the, the in the sense in which you have a choice to do a set of actions and you choose the good one, not out of any rational reason, but out of an ethical, uh, you know, out of ethical reasoning, or or is good just, you know, doing the good thing in the moment? Is is it the utilitarian, you know, maximization of whatever the thing is? You know, but this is the thing is saying someone is innately good would be, uh, is you know, does that does that mean that does that rid people of 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 free will in some sort of like you know platonic deterministic sense are we um yeah if people are good or if people are good automatically in, in what way is it good how, in how exactly yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah the choice disappears and i understand yes. obviously and i'm saying this from a sort of you know a, a fairly i guess you could say i'm a kind of compatibilist but i'm more i'm more a determinist in the ultimate sense of things but i think like i mentioned before there's this emergence of the idea that, that we have doubts about things and the way in which we act and you know the way in which we should go about seeking the good ultimately is going to be in some intersection between our lack of knowledge about the states of other people uh, other people's minds and and how how our choices in the world affect them and yeah no, I, I think like i said the, the reasoning with a lot of yeah to use humanism as an example again it was it was doing exactly the same thing it, it it preached to uh, get rid of, which was it was accepting, you know, beliefs and things like this as givens without, you know, necessarily rational rational reasons for why. I guess one example would be in um, in just sort of getting rid of belief itself and then saying, well, you know, not not addressing the question of why do people believe? Why are people happy when they uh, have the some grand narratives to attach themselves to? Is it always a problem if? You know, are all grand narratives uh, poisonous and and lying, or or is there some, you know, metaphorical truth to it in the sense that perhaps there are beliefs that one can have that, in some sense, have no like ontological reality to them, but the the feedback effect on one's mental state, um, you know, actually causes uh, the world to change for the person because they feel different, they act differently because of believing this, and mm. is that not a real manifestation of the belief in the world? You know. At what point is it is it true to say it is no longer real if it's um, if 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 just the fact of a belief uh, is causes some 
change in the state of the world and causes some change in the state of the behavior. So, yeah, I, I suppose when you go down to that level of analysis, it gets very complicated and difficult for people. And as such, I, you know, I understand why people don't necessarily, you know, <laughs> latch onto that straight away. Um, or this idea that, you know... I, I guess, yeah. I, I, I do think, though, it is also the case of... Well, I don't know, it's just very clearly a Hegelian dialectic. It's, it's very clearly just the opposite cropping up as just a as as things do you, you get the you know the, the left and right and the uh, and and i think that humanism just bizarrely becomes a, a weird shallow mirror of of its opposite aggressive forms of mm. christianity or whatever and think just the, the way they approach it i think they could be a lot more self-aware you don't need to be an intellectual to to realize these sorts of things i don't think you necessarily I think, yeah, when you get onto the nature of faith and things like that, I guess these questions are kind of hard. You know, um, did a podcast recently on uh, mystical experiences and just how difficult it is to pin down what mystical actually can mean. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess when it comes to the details, some of these things are quite difficult. But if you're in a position where you, you're joining a club about atheism, um, and being positive in the world and stuff. I don't think it's too difficult to realize that you're not actually being positive. At least it whilst you're there for the five minutes, you, you, um, listening to a talk or whatever, you, you, you're not having a positive influence on the world or, or embracing life and affirming its many things you can do, the human experience. If you're just kind of shit-talking religion, it's like, well, what, what are we doing here? <laughs> like, uh, right, are you really filling the proposed gap of, yeah. of the community that you leave behind? Um if all you're doing is going into another community that, you know, essentially denies things and but without or, or and come up, comes up with their own commandments, I suppose is a more precise way to put it. Since that's that's sort of what I was seeing was, and again, this comes down to the gap between the sort of you know empirical reasoning and um, and the sort of philosophical reasoning. But um, for me, it just it just came down to a discomfort with doubt, and I th I think um, I think for me, becoming comfortable with doubt was like the best way to remedy a lot of a lot of these issues where i think so many people are so plagued by doubt yeah. that the comfort that they find from these um systems and beliefs is what um you know becomes so much more appealing and, and feels so much more real and, and provides a way out of that from the you know the difficult discomfort of realizing that you don't actually know and you can only go so far in your reasoning to be able to answer questions that um fundamentally are always hinged on some degree of doubt um and i think that for me is is you know part of the issue is like um if, if there was an ism you couldn't have you can't have you know a doubtism can you you can't all go to a place and then all disagree on collectively what you are it's i mean you could do but it's, yeah it's, you know, i think you can um because I, but it kind of defeats the idea of a collective in a way i suppose yeah unless you all collectively agree that conversation is a good thing but then in a way then you're dispersing some doubt about something yeah but i guess this is this is why know. i think it actually has to stand for certain things and i think the things it, it currently stands for humanism that is uh like the, it being a political lobby for things like freedom uh freedom of the non-religious and also the religious in a lot of cases that's that's good um I'm kind of fine with that. That's that seems like a good crack. But then, I think you you get onto other things, and it's like okay, optimism uh, on a kind of a macro level of like uh, a global level of like oh yeah, we should we should strive for 
good and the best and everything. And they, they just kind of uh, present that as a given. Like, why would you be a pessimist kind of thing? And it's like, well, that's not particularly philosophically clever. That's just you ignoring debates. If anything, it's it's kind of issuing the same, falling into the same traps of of seeing the world in terms of like, uh, well, this is a more positive or associate that we were associating this with being more good or positive, pessimism bad. But I mean, in the if you were to be properly scientific or objective about things, you would you would say, well, pessimism is is a state that is is natural because the fact is that sometimes pessimists are right and those those are they're sometimes the ones that survive over the ones who are not pessimistic and mm. so like you know reasoning from from the uh, you know an empirical sense is would you you would lose a lot of these narratives straight away you'd go well it doesn't make sense to just put a commandment down saying you know be optimistic and be happy and be good it's like this is not descriptive of of any of you know anything. It's, it's you're falling into the same traps. And again, I'm not I'm not saying that people shouldn't try to be optimistic or shouldn't try to you know be X Y or Z. Yeah. I'm saying that the very the very fact that that the uh, you, you it's like founding an organization based on not having rules and then having rules for the organization. It's 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 a strange kind of uh, hypocrisy um, that for me was the always my issue with humanism and. I was always felt like I couldn't, you know, I, I didn't feel like I was going along and being able to sort of uh, freely doubt everything the same way I would if, I, if I'm not part of anything where I can just, mm. you know, if I can question my own beliefs and what I should believe and uh, what, what may be a, a good belief and a bad belief and, and not always just sort of take these cultural givens as, um, as ne- is inherently positive or inherently good or whatever else. Yeah, I, I mean, I've, I found all the experience I, I i don't know i found the people very like-minded and i found the experiences to be beneficial in a lot of senses and and very welcoming i didn't feel as if uh i, I couldn't necessarily like say anything like i couldn't produce ideas i i just think that wasn't the default of of, of exchanging ideas and and i more under the impression that was the point um and it, you know okay so if we have these tenets what are they and mm why do we live by them and again people didn't really seem to want to know or understand that um and i guess th- some of the things that did come up like i was saying about optimism they seemed a little bit abstract they seemed like there was no glue that held so you got secularism you've got like an atheism you've got doubt but you've also got like the scientific method you've got materialism you've got optimism uh, liberty and it's it's just like okay I, I i like all these things but i i don't necessarily see why this is an ism that what what is the the string that's holding these like six or seven ideas together and unfortunately i think it was as you as you put it it, it was the the dark mirror of of the thing it was you know didn't like it was it was the, it was because it was a shadow it was defined by its shadow if, if that makes any sense yes was, yeah um that's the, the only common thread was oh hey i i don't agree with organized religion but i want to be part of something organized that has beliefs and so that i think that's you know it, it became the, that weird shadow i guess yeah yeah well it was seeing things that were that us two can definitely agree are fucking not very nice and wrong and and not good um and then just going right so our thing has to have yeah all the opposites of that and that was the string that was holding it together and but that's just the worst fucking way to make something because it doesn't grow organically 
and there's no real sense of like community or culture for, you know from it uh, coming from a rich historical tradition i guess you have the enlightenment but it, you have things like voltaire day um and you know i i, I don't know i i just don't think that's that's enough and so i i think the alternative or at least the, the sort of third this is my third time lucky kind of iteration of humanism or whatever or because you know, i've had the the sort of new atheism phase had the um you know the bog standard doing all the committee meetings and then kind of thinking what, what are we all sat, sat in a room for um and i think i think the third way that I'm, I'm kind of struggling with at the moment is um defining something by kind of positive traits a position if if it can even be called that right sort of in an effort to i'm assuming change your mental states to ones that are more favorable to you know le less neurotic i suppose it's just to to think of things in terms of their positive qualities instead of their immediately the you know the pessimistic side which um, I totally understand as someone who is very pessimistic. Yes, so, yeah. Um, I definitely notice those patterns myself. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I don't even think I'm necessarily an optimist. I, I think in many ways I'm a pessimist. Um, there is certainly a lot of ego death, though, as you're saying, like um, trying to be less neurotic or um, certainly moving away from being self-centered or anything. Um, thinking about ethics and whatever. But yeah, um, I, I think like I was saying before, it's. When you say something is meaningful, uh, as opposed to not meaningful, or say a relationship or an activity, I think they involve some sense of overcoming challenge or some sense of being a pursuit or a craft. And that is something that's ongoing. Right. So, so I would say, I think you're almost there, but I would actually generalize that a step further to make this even more general. I would say it is defining oneself in relationship to something else. A dynamic, yeah. Exactly, and, and like you said, a skill or an activity or something to progress towards is, is, a, is almost like the act of defining oneself in terms of embodying some skill or some craft or yes. working towards something and, and having some object which you can compare yourself to do or, or see your identity in, whether that's through building something or gaining a skill or having some kind of, um, you know, whatever it is, it's, um, that it's, it's what's the meaning there, um, I think, is... is in the most general sense, is is your identity being defined there and being reflected back at you like a mirror? And so, yeah, I would, I would say, yeah, that's probably for me what I, I would, how I would more define what's almost going on there. Um, although, of course, that's fairly conjectural, and that's no, know. I think I I think I totally agree. Um, and yeah, like I, I think uh, it should be based around in terms of emotional state, you should be striving towards joy. But again, that's that's the happiness thing it is separate but interlinked and that's also something i'm trying to think about at the moment is, is trying to yeah trying to trying to encourage transformative experiences whilst fucking navigating the void hmm. i think um for me sorry I, I, but you my brain just clicked onto one of those points yeah, go on. um when you when you mentioned um trying you know trying to seek a state of joy or something and, and for me i think that reminded me of one of my reasons why i i think it, uh, one of my rationales for why one should seek meaning rather than happiness and i think it's it is all to do with that um again our, our, the epistemic limit of what we can know the who who should be leading us you know through the dark um do we do you want happiness to be the thing that leads you through the dark in um in an uncertainty or do you want meaning to be and, and the, the distinction would be that happiness can have very short-term 
gains and and can feel right in the moment, but can very often lead you to the edge of a cliff. Um, whereas meaning can more frequently, as a heuristic, carve out a, a a path that can you know can lead you to moments of happiness along the way, but um, is ultimately going to be less likely to lead you to peril um, than, than I think happiness as as a thing to pursue will do. And I I, I found that at least. Uh, in, in life with projects and the things that you pursue and go out to do, that those things will provide a more long-term source of intermittent bliss that, um, that just pursuing bliss in the moment uh, does not. Yes, I totally, yeah, I agree. You were almost setting up meaning and joy to be complete opposites there, but yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, it's, it's, one, is, one is like, you know, uh, the joy is the happy consequence of the pursuit of meaning, right? It's the, it's the side effect. Yeah in many yeah. cases and it's and it's more of a there's more structure to it right there's more of a it's more of a guide it's there's more of a heuristic there to pursue um that i think is better for people to pass reality and i i see this too much these days people you know having you know wallpapers on their phone or whatever saying oh you know remember to be happy just be happy ever you know <laughs> have a put on a smile be joy i'm like it's that's uh. again we're, that's not a useful guide and i'm not saying you know don't be happy don't be that what i'm saying is what what we've done there is simplify too much. We've, we've let happiness, you know, in the short term, you know, run us through the dark when we should be um, instead thinking about what is meaningful in our lives and, and running after those things and in, yeah. in order to um, find the happiness in tangentially and hopefully have a more long-term and more secure um, relationship with meaning in our lives. Yeah, rather than like live, laugh, love, it would be better if it was like goal set, remember to be creative, uh, you know, um, exercise control, things like that, because because those sorts of things are uh, the the pursuit, the the things that are uh, in pursuit of something. And again, it's not necessarily about attaining that, and then you'll be really happy, or then then you'll have all the meaning. It's more about the the process. Perhaps love the journey would be a better yeah. little moniker there. Love the journey. Don't don't you know? Don't just love. Don't just laugh. Just you know, learn to love the. Um, the effort you put into your future, you know, and uh, let that guide you between moments of bliss. Um, but yeah, um, yeah. What, what's an example of something you uh, consider meaningful? I can imagine one of the things is going to be music. To generalise it, it would just be some form of self improvement is often very meaningful. I, I think ultimately, um, to go outside of myself a little bit, I think I've, I've no, diff, different people very much have different ways in which they find pursuits that they can really stick to and enjoy some people um enjoy improving themselves in some kind of skill to try and be the best at the particular thing whereas i, I think i'm more in the camp of people who are optimizers whereas i think there's also people like me who are more like the creative types they just they just want to make things and they, they don't really necessarily care about the, whether you know they become the best at any particular skill along the way it's it's about the the thing that has been crafted you know? and some people you know, they, they seek meaning in, in, in you know, in love and relationships and life and finding, you know, that wholesomeness that comes with that side of things. And I think ultimately you have to learn. And unfortunately, that's the problem. But I, I think if, if meaning is your guide, then you will, you, it will feel right because you'll go, this is meaningful to me. I, I need to chase after this. Um, and hopefully that will do you well, you know. Mm. Are we ending it there, are we? Yeah, I quite like that ending. Yeah.
like, oh, fuck it. We can't even be bothered with this one. Who knows? Uh, you've gone now, mate. You're, you're cutting out. 